Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. This week, Mike Tabor joins me to update us on his status so we can hear about his decision-making around whether to launch a freemium plan, whether to do an AppSumo deal, how his potential partnership slash merger is panning out, and what would a Mike Tabor episode be without a discussion about Google audits. For those who are newer to the show, Mike Tabor co-hosted this podcast with me for the first 448 episodes, and now he is known as the co-host emeritus. He is doing a lot of work on his startup BlueTick at bluetick.io, which is a SaaS app that does personal outreach at scale for all your follow-up emails. We've established in prior episodes that BlueTick is not supporting Mike full-time, and it hasn't been growing for the past year or so as he has switched his focus to focus on this potential partnership slash business deal slash merger with another SaaS app that is further along. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Mike. Mike Tabor. Thanks for joining me again. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, man. You know, for astute listeners, it's only been two months since you were on the show, episode 543, and I still am getting tweets and emails about it was the April (laughs) Fool's episode. And like two days ago, someone's like, I just caught up and I'm listening to the April Fool's episode. Spider-Man, Spider-Man would have won. And then he sent me a picture of a graded Secret Wars 8, which is the first, you know, with a black costume, uh, first... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, that was fun. Did you have fun recording that? I, I did. It was a good time. I think after we stopped recording on that one, you said, I could have gone for a lot longer. And I was like, dang it. I didn't know that. Because you're like, I had Wikipedia articles I was going to quote. <laughs> you really prepared, man. I, I did. I, I, and that's probably unfortunate for you because I you know, knew what we were going to talk about. So I did prepare. And I'm like, probably hustled you a little on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all, all fair. I made for some good radio. But the last time we heard an update from you was in February, which is about three and a half months ago. That was episode 535. And in that episode, we ran through for the first time, you know, you let folks know that you were evaluating a pretty deep integration slash partnership slash potential merging of BlueTick with this other SaaS app. And I think the quote that I took away from that was everything's on the table. You guys are exploring all types of of strategic partnerships and such. You also were evaluating potentially launching freemium with BlueTick, potential AppSumo deal. We talked a little bit about a Google security audit and everyone's taking their shots right now. And yeah, that, that was about it. Those are the things I think we can circle back on. I must call out since we're on video today that you have a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition player's handbook over your left shoulder. And then you have l- the lanyard from every conference you have ever attended up on a bulletin board. Yeah, and it's funny because every single one of those lanyards is from Microcon. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Those are the ones that I kept. So, you know, you probably can't see it. There's like a whole stack of D&D books over there. And in the background, there's a small handful of like miniatures and stuff like that. So I ran it out of the Abyss campaign. So I naturally went out and bought the giant minifigures that are probably, you know, four to six inches tall and painted them and pulled them out on the table when... They uh, were not expecting to get into trouble, and they did. <laughs> Excellent. Roll for initiative. Yep. We're going to search for traps. Roll for initiative. And the best part is if this episode gets boring, we're just going to do an actual play. 
and you're just going to get minis out. I have my dice right here. We can roll it. So cool. Before before we dive into our actual play, which we're not we're not going to do. That's a joke. I don't want anyone to be disappointed to get to the end of the episode and be like, <laughs> "You didn't do it." They're going to be look, looking for that after show episode with us playing DD. Yep. We should. Well, we got to do that at some point, right? Oh, now we've. Yeah, I know. I, I, now you've just committed us. <laughs> I can blame you for that. Yeah. Even though I said it. <laughs> yep. As long as you're a DM, and I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm fine with that. So the lead is this partnership, and you know, I expressed some concern last episode about how you had been working together with this founder of an app that is doing 10 times the revenue of Blue Tickets. It's a much larger app that's been around longer. It's further established. And I think the concern I expressed was if you are working, you're essentially working on it. You're running the engineering team, I believe running product as well, making a lot of product decisions. And my concern was, how long do you want to do that without having something formal in place? You know, without knowing where this is headed. So where do you where do you stand with that today? Yeah, so still nothing overly formal in place. So everything's kind of I'll say head nod and handshake mode at the moment. But I mean, we've I, I've known the the founder for I don't know like five six years now. So it's not like we don't know each other. So there is a certain amount of trust there for that. So I'm not real worried about like getting screwed over or anything. In terms of like everything being on the table though, I would say there's been some conclusions for some of that. So like for freemium, for example, I've kind of pushed that to the back burner, probably not going to be a major thing at the, that I'm exploring right now too much. Just a bunch of other stuff going on. Well, and there's cost. Yes. Yeah. The freemium thing, that was a big concern because, and I get that because again, when we looked at doing, when we were still bootstrapped doing freemium with drip, it's the blue tick is a complex app, there are costs to it and there are server costs and there's scaling and there's things that make freemium maybe not a no-brainer if you don't have buckets of money in the bank. So if you really wanted to do it and try it out, I would say cool and not wanting to do it, it's like, that's fine. I think there are other opportunities that are probably better there. Right. Yeah. And along with that, like I decided against doing an AppSumo deal. Did you? Yeah. And I kind of came to that conclusion based on the same things that I looked at for freemium because, you know, with AppSumo, I'm going to get some level of money, but then I'm going to have to support these customers forever. And I had probably half a dozen different conversations with people who have done AppSumo deals. And it was just a recurring theme over and over again that, A, it was difficult to get them to upgrade once they've purchased the AppSumo deal. And B, like supporting them was just an ongoing cost and not even just a little bit of support. One of the founders I talked to, he's like, yeah, 80% of my support calls come from this group of AppSumo users and they're contributing zero moving forward. And this was three, four years later, he still got 80% of his support volume is from those AppSumo users. And I'm just like, that's terrible. That's really surprising because normally users need a lot of support up front. Three, four years later, they, they know the app and they don't need it. So that's that's interesting. That's the first I've heard. Uh, someone run into that. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, I would say that's more of an extreme example, but he's certainly not the only person who said, I'm still answering support emails from that group of users and the their expectations are wildly out of whack with what they paid. And not one person I talked to really said, hey, this was exactly the target market that I wanted to get. It added users, added visibility, but at the end of the day, that stuff only goes so far if it's not paying the bills. 
Yeah, I think AppSumo deals are good. I think there's a time and a place to do them. And in fact, I sat down a couple months ago now with Ruben Gomez, who obviously did it for DocSketch, and it was a successful thing. He has no regrets, both the money and the users. But he has some pretty specific criteria of when to think about doing a lifetime deal like that. And it was at MicroConf Remote. That was just a couple months ago. Folks want to check that out and go to microconfirmote.com. I think the videos are, are still available for, for sale there. But So that's interesting then because I think the reason you were even thinking about freemium is because you were saying, if I'm going to have effectively free users, which is kind of what AppSumo is, I mean, you know, you get your 20, 30, 40 grand, whatever it is up front, but then they're effectively free users after that. You were saying, I'm thinking about freemium from there. And my memory was, I was probably a little discouraging of like, I don't know that I would do freemium with, with blue tick. I don't know that that's the way to go. But the AppSumo deal I saw, I think I see potentially more reason to to do it just because it'll, it will get you users. Like you don't have momentum right now, right? You don't have growth if I'm understanding correctly where it's at. I mean, Blue Tick's revenue is still where it was maybe a year ago because you've been focused in working on this, this other app, the partner app, uh, which again is you're, you're essentially running an engineering team. It's like a, it's a job, you know, it's a day job. So whether you do the AppSumo thing or not is, is fine. I could see going either way on it. It's a risk. I was actually just talking to a, a tiny seed founder a couple weeks ago who was also evaluating AppSumo and he was right on the fence with it. And he also decided not to do it for a lot of the same reasons you're saying, you know, he's just the risk of it and the, the lifetime nature of it just didn't make sense for him. So how are you feeling then? Cause again, I struggle with, with you working a day job in essence and not having equity in it because it, well, no, that's not true. Actually, if you came and you said, Hey Rob, I'm going to get a day job. And that's the decision because it's simple and it's easy. And I get a W2 at the end of the year and I just, and I clock out at five, like, can you imagine that? But, and if you said that, and that was that, that was the decision, I'd be like, cool, that's your, that's your choice. And you know what you're getting into. It's funny that you put it that way. Cause over the past couple of months, I've been trying to refinance my mortgage solely because not because of the interest rate per se, but because we're trying to, we want to basically overhaul our kitchen and we have contractors already kind of assigned to it and everything. So we're like, Oh, well we have a ton of equity in our house, not very much money left on it. We've got like seven years left in the mortgage. We could refinance, go to like a 15 year mortgage or even a 10 still. And basically because of the way the interest rates are, we could just add it on. We're adding a couple of years. Our payments don't change. No brainer. And it turns out that if I were W2 employee, this would be so much easier. But instead I've had to go through like the ringer for three months now and it's, uh, I've learned so much about the mortgage industry the past three months that I hate that. <laughs> but none of it that you wanted to know. You didn't want to learn any of it, but you know. None of it that I wanted to know. But surprisingly, they say that I have negative income, which is bizarre. Really? Oh, yeah. My tax return very clearly says that I have positive income. And they're like, oh, yeah, this, you know, I've. I won't name the numbers, but it was well over, not well over, it was over six figures. And they're like, oh yeah, this counts for zero. I'm like, what? And of course they won't take a profit and loss. They, they just use a profit and loss statement to yeah. baseline, but they won't use it as like counting for anything. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Yep. So. That is, it's tough. The world just does not understand. You know, the, the mortgage world doesn't understand 1099. They often don't understand startups and, and, you know, even investors. There was chat in the tiny seed Slack and a couple founders, someone had their mortgage lender like back out on them 20 minutes before their close. And he, he had to go to Silicon Valley Bank because they understand founders. And that's, 
they know what 1099 income is and they know what, you know, all this stuff. And they, they will say, oh, have you raised funding? Like that's actually something they'll pay attention to of like, well, at least you have a viable, viable situation. Yeah. Anyway, over the past week or two, I'm just like, man, I would kill for a W-2 employee like status right now, even if it was just for like a month. Yeah, I, I mean, I would go so far as to pay somebody to put me on W-2 for like a month. Like, I don't care. <laughs> totally get it. You only need a couple months of pay stubs. That's actually early on when Derek was was working on Drip. He was a part-time contractor and then he was a full-time contractor. And at a certain point, he's like, I'm going to buy a house. Could you could you make me W-2? And I was like, sure. <laughs> like, let's do that. And that was it. He needed like one or two pay stubs. And then it was instant. Like it was so easy to get approved, but without that, they wanted two years of history and all this stuff. And he, you know, at that point he was young and didn't have it. So similar for me, I mean, when we went to buy this house that we bought three years ago, I was, I had left drip and Sherry has, you know, her consulting and all that, but I didn't have a job. And so they're like, oh, we went to all these lenders and they were like, yeah, you don't have a job, bro. You don't have income to lend against. And I was like, oh, I roll, you know? Exactly. Cool. Well, I mean, I guess I guess where I'm coming from is uh, that was a good tangent. Where I'm coming from is like I know the the person who runs the uh, you know the other SaaS app, the partner too. And I don't think either of you. I mean, you guys are are not going to screw each other. I don't think that's going to be the case. But is there a concern, or I, I have concerns about you working on this without something in place? Because I just don't. I'm concerned there might be mismatched expectations. You know, if you haven't gotten down to brass tacks to say, hey, let's merge these two apps or let's both focus on this one and here's the equity split. Because I've done these before where I have an app and I bring someone on and we discuss equity and we put a partnership agreement together. Whether you know, These days I would use a lawyer and I'll say, 12 years ago, wrote my own agreements, you know, which is like the worst idea ever, but I was too cheap and didn't really have the money to do it. So what what is the delay with that? I mean, because you've been working on this for over a year now, right? Yeah. I mean, the the delay until after December, um, and probably even after that, until February was over, he had this other business that he had to sell. And so the pandemic pushed that off, and he finally closed on it at the end of December. But it still took like a couple of months of offloading because, it, you know, it's a non-trivial sale. He had like several hundred employees, multiple locations for this brick-and-mortar business, and just wanted to get out of it. And so it took a couple of months, even after the close, for him to kind of offload a lot of the the work and the handoff. So it wasn't like, here are the keys and I'm out the door the next day. I mean, you know, selling a business, it's it's really not like that. You you are essentially committed to sticking around for through a transition period. And then once that transition period has kind of gone, we've been having weekly meetings on Monday mornings for I don't know, like a month or two at this point. And I think those are helping because they put us on a firmer ground in terms of what our expectations are and how we're going to plan to move things forward and what we want to see out of the, you know, quote unquote partnership or how we're working together. So we have gone back and forth on, well, do we work on Bluetick or do we work on this other app? Or do we collaborate on something completely different? You know, all those things have kind of come up and been discussed to some extent. Right now, we're working on a program for like a done for you service for Bluetick and pitching it to their existing customers which I think has a lot of potential. And that's something that had originally been something we were going to do about a year ago, but because of everything else that was going on, just... Just COVID in the cell, yeah. Yeah, it just never really got to the forefront. And plus, they were having a billion technology problems, which I think for the most part are more or less resolved. I mean, there's always technical debt to take care of, but we're in a position now where we can actually start doing that stuff. 
and now he has the time to start working on that stuff too. So yeah. I think that that's got a lot of potential and it is something that we're going to be actively working on. We're just in the very early stages of that right now. Yeah. And if the done for you service works because this other app has a customer base of, you know, a sizable, substantial, you know, I don't know what the, what the term is for it, but there are enough customers that it could make sense and, and generate real revenue pretty quickly for a done for you service. If that works, that'll be interesting because I think you could, because done for you service is not cheap, right? I mean, it's basically a productized service. It's, I would guess, single digit thousands per month to do it. So you don't need that many clients to get to 20, 30, 40K a month. Obviously, you then have the issue of you are hiring people to run outbound and all that. But these are solved problems, right? We've seen Craig Hewitt do it with Podcast Mode or now Castos Productions. We've watched Brian Castle do it with Audience Ops and anyone else who's done a productized service. So if that works, I'm intrigued by it. If that doesn't work, I got to be honest, I want to give you my opinion and I want I want to hear your take on it. What do you think? I feel like you should go all in on the, both of you should go all in on the other app and shut Blue Tick down. Autopilot it, whatever, put it on the side and not focus on it. And the reason I think that is because the other app is doing 10 times the revenue. The other app is has traction. The other app has, with the two of you working on it, like you are development and product and engineering, and he is sales and marketing and operations, I presume. I know he does a lot, you know, he knows quite a bit about sales and marketing and stuff. But what do you think? I mean, that's a hot take for me, right? What, what do you think about that, about that idea? I think it's interesting because you came to the exact opposite conclusion that he and I came to. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And, and the reason for that is that the growth for that business is stagnant and it's been stagnant for a while. And, you know, there could be any number of reasons for that, but it just hasn't grown. And right now there's a struggle to try and find what channel or channels to tap into in order to get it to grow any further. And we actually both came to the conclusion probably separately and together in, in our discussion that Bluetech probably has better growth potential than that, than that product. Even though there is a, a wide discrepancy in the, the revenue, that doesn't mean that that couldn't be addressed, you know, through a good solid sales and marketing effort. So that's what I would say to it. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to it, but that's kind of the conclusion that we had come to. I don't know what to, where to go from there, but I think, I think we need to give it a little bit of time to try and figure out how things work out. We do have one customer who we're basically, I'll say beta testing the done for you service on. So we're going through that process right now. They're already onboarded. We've got the emails set up or they're, they're written to basically be plugged into Blue Tick. And um, the founder of that company is out uh, this week and they'll come back next week. But uh, there's one small feature that I have to implement in order to get things working for them. But other than that, like uh, next week, we should be able to get started with it. Got it. And just as a reminder, I realized last episode that you were on, we we mentioned the other app we keep saying is a CRM for field sales reps. And so we can call it the CRM instead of the other app and the partnership app or whatever, since we're being all coy about it. But that's interesting. So both of them are stagnant, you know, like in my mind, neither of them is, is growing. And one, I keep saying it's 10 times. I think it's more like 15 times more, right? Or something it's substantially bigger. It has a team working on it, you know, including you and, more customers. And I mean, they both seem like CRM for field sales reps. That's a big space, right? It's a space you should be able to get some type of traction. And just because you don't have marketing channels working now, it's like, we talked a little bit offline, but it's like there's outbound 
outbound LinkedIn and, and email. There is G2 Crowd and Captera, right? There is, there's content, there's integrations, there's all these things to do. And you've spent the last year plus fixing a bunch of technical debt. So that app is in pretty good shape to do it. And it's full featured and has, you know, again, a substantial customer base, you know, a sizable customer base enough to, to be generating a good amount of revenue. So that just feels like the basis from which you can really build on versus blue tech that still feels pretty nascent. I think, you know, it's like the, the question I used to ask you was like, do you have product market fit, you know, and, and how are you different than the other five or 10 apps that kind of do the same thing that blue tech does. And if you get a done for you service working and you are pulling from the CRM's customer base, not pulling, but you are selling to them. What happens when you get through all those customers, you know, and, and you convert 10% of them or 20% or whatever, but like, so then, Blue Tick has more revenue, but now it's stagnant again because you still haven't figured out how to market, you know, and sell and and grow Blue Tick. Sure, but I think that there's well, there's two things I'd probably bring up. The first one is that you your point about the revenue difference between them, and I think it is probably closer to 15x. That is accurate, but at the same time, revenue you know as well as I do, revenue and profit are not the same thing. And if you're talking about profit, I think profit wise, Blue Tick actually has more profit. <laughs> <laughs> which is a hard pill to swallow. And I think that's the, that's kind of a big contributing factor is like it's there's just a lot of there's a lot of moving parts. There's hundreds of thousands of lines of code. There's, you know, hundreds of customers. And we get the the types of support issues that we get are things like and I told you this offline. Somebody said, hey, your app isn't working. You need to reload it. It's like, okay, well, clearly you're not a developer, so we'll just let that slide. You know, can you send us a screenshot of what it, of what you're seeing? And they sent us a screenshot. And in the background, you can see the app. And in the foreground, you see the Chrome waiting for web browser you know, window where it basically shows that message when it's locked up. And the message we got with the screenshot was, it's been like this for three days. What gives? And it's just, you know, Reload your browser, man. <laughs> like, yeah, command R. Yeah, exactly. Something along those lines. But yeah, you just person just didn't reload their browser because they're like, oh, I'm just waiting for this web page and it event it'll eventually get there. They have no concept of timeouts or anything like that or trying again. Right. So it's customer pain. I've talked about this, right? Competitor pain versus customer pain, you know? And that makes that makes sense. I mean, we you and and the founder of the CRM are are much closer to this than I am, right? And have spent more time thinking about it. So that's my again, my hot take or my kind of assumption that if I had these two apps and knowing what I know about them, I would double down on the one that's larger that has had that. But we don't need to definitively agree uh, you know, on anything on this call. I think that the thing I'll ask you before we get into the, the Google security audit discussion is, well, I guess, like, do you have a timeline in mind? Like, what, it, what is the next, you know, the next time we talk will be, what, a month, two, three months down the line? Like, do you feel like things will be settled by then? I think we'll have some sort of a definitive idea of where we're going. Because I mean, really, it's it's only been about like the past two months or so where we've really started to dive in. And honestly, like I've been somewhat distracted because of my mortgage debacle and several other things. Like there's that, there's taxes, there's all this other stuff that I've I feel like I've jumped from one major fire or fiasco to another over the past six months, and it's just it seems like it's nonstop. I don't know why. I've I've mentioned it in Founder Cafe. I put in this long thread the other day about kind of why I've been absent for past couple of months and I just like just listed them all out. I think things are starting to close out on some of that stuff. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I, I really think that 
him and I will come to some sort of a conclusion about what the direction is from here moving forward over the next month or two. And I, th I think that partly because we are meeting every single week. We are having pretty in-depth in discussions. We have a couple of different calls each week with the team, and there's like a marketing call and a couple of other things that we do. So we're in constant communication. I think I think something will sort itself out. I don't know what that is. I just, I have a good feeling that that's going to at least move forward in some way, shape, or form. I just don't know what the outcome looks like. Well, I wish you and he the best of luck in figuring that out for sure. And I'm curious to hear an update once that's all settled. Google security audit. Oh, one, one painful topic to another, man. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is the things that we talked about last time. It's uh, just touching base. I know. Is that all done? I mean, I think everyone in the audience is like me. They both, they both like hearing about it and really don't like hearing about the security audit. But it was the second time and you had to have done it already, right? And was it a lot easier? I know they were going to charge you more for... They were going to charge you more for the second year, which makes no sense because it's way less work to do, right? And you were negotiating back and forth, I believe, at the time. You, I don't even think you'd started any of the technical stuff, but catch us up there. How much dirty laundry do I, do I want to air on this one? I don't know. Do you want me to just throw it all yeah, out yeah. there? It's up right. to you. Your call, man. Sure. So I, didn't do, I did not do it. I decided, to, uh, so after getting the price quotes and looking at everything and evaluating whether it made sense to do it or not, based on what Google was telling me was going to be the outcome of that, I decided against doing it. So right now, if you log into BlueTick and you go to add your email account and it's uh, Gmail-based or G Suite-based, you have to go into your G Suite account and you have to whitelist BlueTick, which, you know, you just go in, like I've got documentation on how to do it. You just search for it, plug in BlueTick, say authorize whitelist and you're done and then you can add your email accounts in and everything's fine nothing changes the only thing that it really that not having the audit does for me or or counts against me is like if you have an actual gmail.com account you have to use imap authentication and you have you have to enable that in your account and you have to create an app password so it's a little bit more complicated i've done i've had to do that before yeah but bluetick really isn't aimed at like gmail.com users it's aimed at business users who use their business accounts for sending out those emails and the conclusion i came to was that it just was not it didn't seem to be worth the money for the i'll say the paper thin veil of security that it supposedly offered because last year i went through it and they came back with some pretty ridiculous things they're like oh you have to i'm going to misremember the details on this but it was something like you should protect this port and make it https instead of http and i'm like that's not even my server like it was some it was a dream host server for something i forget what and they're like well you have this listed in on one of your dns entries and i'm like that makes no difference whatsoever. It's not connected to anything. And they put up a fuss about it. So I, I pulled it out just to appease them and get the documentation. But they're looking at some really stupid things. And given the background that I actually have in security, I can point at those things and say, yeah, this is a dumb thing that you're looking at. And it doesn't make sense. But they're like a bank. And if they have their own policies around certain stuff, then they're going to say, hey, this is enforceable and you have to do it. The other thing I found, and this is where the dirty laundry gets in, I'm going to start throwing people under the bus. The first piece is that when Google said that they were going to do this, essentially all of the existing accounts would still work as they were supposed to. Nothing was going to change there. I did proactively go out to my customers and say, hey, you go whitelist BlueTick, and a bunch of them did. And I did not notice any accounts that have gotten disconnected since the deadline passed. And Google emailed me and said, hey, we're going to, you know, you are in violation of such and such terms, and you're no longer going to 
be authorized to do this. But everything else seems to still be working properly the way that it's supposed to. Nothing made a difference at all. Hasn't impacted sales, hasn't impacted anything else. So at the end of the day, was it really necessary? And I don't think the answer in my case is yes. If I were running something where people were authorizing their Gmail accounts and were using that, then it would be a problem because then I, I literally couldn't do what I was supposed to do for them. The other piece, when I was talking to the three different companies, one of them basically let slip that Google came to them and said, you are required to charge at least this much money. And apparently they get copies of the invoices, which to me seems like a violation of the NDA that I'd previously signed. But apparently Google gets copies of those invoices. And seems monopolistic too. And was it collaborate? No, what's the thing? Uh, anti-monopolistic, anti yeah. anti-competitive behavior. Uh, racketeering is the charge that if you uh, search for racketeering on Google of all places, it basically says, you know, you're organizing to extract money from somebody for your own personal gain. And the only reason that this whole thing doesn't fall under that umbrella is that I have to pay a third party company in order to get this audit done. But because Google is dictating what that is, and they're saying you have to charge at least this much money or you couldn't possibly have done the audit, which I disagree with, but that's an aside point. So they're, they're forcing it. Yeah. I, I didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me why they would enforce a minimum, but that was what you, that you just corrected that in my head. Um, if they say you have to charge at least this much, then somehow Google has the confidence that they spent enough time that it was worth that much or something? I mean, is that what they, they're doing it so that they think that a real audit was done so that I can't come out with Rob's security audits and come and charge you a hundred bucks and say, oh, I audited them. Well, you can't do that anyway, because these are the only three companies that are authorized to do three that. Three companies. Ugh. I, I see what they're trying to do. They're, what they're trying to do is say, well, we don't want those three companies to be bidding against each other and then lower the amount of services that they're offering to the point that they're basically skipping all, all these things that they really should be doing. The problem with that stance and that argument is that Google is outsourcing this specifically because A, they want you would want to avoid a federal racketeering charge, and B, like Google's not a security company. These other companies are. So why are you dictating to them what, what constitutes a security audit instead of letting them decide? Because they're the ones who have to sign off on it. They're the ones who do all the tests and everything else. So something feels real shady. It really, really does. And I'm sure somebody, I'm sure I'm going to get emails from somebody who works at <laughs> Google at this point, but like I've thought about taking all the information and data that I have and all the notes and just like, just putting them in a zip file and send it to the state attorney general and say like, you deal with this because I'm done. The opinions expressed by Mike Tabor are not the opinions of Rob Walling or this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, and it's, I mean, you could look at it in a bunch of different ways. It's like, oh, this is just one more thing that Mike Tabor's run into. But like, you know, I've had a stress about this for a long time and it's just, and it sucks. It sucks to have to deal with this. Yeah, we know. We've lived through it with you, Mike. <laughs> we know. Well, I mean, so was it all for naught then? Was the, like, do you regret doing it last year? Was it just kind of a waste of time and money? I think so. Yeah. That sucks. It, uh, yeah, it really, it really that, is. Man. I yeah. mean, you know, I blew five plus figures easy getting this stupid audit done and it, you know, murdered my profitability. And then they doubled the price the following year. And I'm like, you know, forget it. I'm just not going to bother. And I've had zero problems since then. 
not to say that somebody from Google isn't going to hear this and then go invalidate all the tokens. And, you know, <laughs> I, you know, and that, but that just comes down to retaliation. It's like, oh, we did something terrible and we're going to cover for it and we're going to drive your business in the ground. So could that happen? Sure. Hopefully it won't happen. But, but the, the idea that you can work around it by whitelisting, because you're right, if, if I have a Gmail account, I'm not the I'm not the optimal fit for blue tick. So I'm gonna have G Suite. I mean, because you you support G Suite and like Microsoft Office, right? Outlook or whatever. And honestly, anything that supports an IMAP connection. Yeah. IMAP. Okay. So you're you're on all the platforms and Google is the has been the most um, painful one. They're the jerk hippo in the room. That's what that is. <laughs> hippo? I don't know that reference. What is well, that? You know, it's like the the uh, I guess the elephant. Whatever. Elephant oh, hippo. The jerk elephant in the yeah. room, I see. Well, I mean, I don't know how to yeah. I both feel bad for you hearing that, but I also feel good that you didn't do it. Like I'm happy that you kind of made the decision not to and that it hasn't had adverse effects. And now going forward, you're just kind of like shoulder shrug, you know? I mean, are most of your customers using, I'll just say G Suite, I just mean Google inboxes. Is it the majority or is it a mix? It is, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm. I guess it is one of the super popular, I mean, G Suite's so popular, especially with startups. It's very easy to get on and very easy to start. And once you're there, like you're probably not going to be switching email providers anytime soon. So, I mean, it makes sense to have that stuff. I just, I really feel like the way Google has gone about this whole thing has been extremely poorly implemented. Their communication is terrible. You can't get answers. You can't talk to anybody. And their policies are extremely heavy handed and they don't make exceptions for anything really. And then when the one place where you could feasibly get around this whole audit they kind of really downplay that whole option for doing that. Because had I known that, I wouldn't have paid the money the first year. I would have just avoided it because I, hey, if I could just have people whitelist it and get around it, then why would I bother? Like, why would I pay all that money? Because I know that like even going after going through the audit, they found almost nothing. Like the few things that they did find were extremely ridiculous. You know, some of them were requirements. Okay, I get this. I understand that. I would say of the things that they came back with, there was maybe two, possibly three, that was actually a, an issue that I looked at and said, yeah, I, I really should fix this. And I fixed it. But otherwise, like there was a handful of stuff. They're just like, oh, you should do this and that. It's like, no, like that doesn't make any sense. And right here, I want to play an audio clip from the last episode where Mike was angry about <laughs> Google security audit. We can hear his rant. I want to compare the two rants to figure out if you use similar verbiage or whatever. Similar uh, swear words. Profanity. Similar swear words. We, we haven't had to bleep you this episode yet. So, well, sir, that's the, uh, that's the end of my list for today. Is there anything else you feel like we should chat about that's been going on in the past few months? Don't think so. Very good. Well, if people want to keep up with you, you are a prolific tweeter at Single Founder. <laughs> I think your last tweet was about the time the last podcast episode went live three months ago. But no, if they want to keep up with what you're doing, bluetick.io, that's it. Because That's probably it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really pay attention too much on Twitter anymore. I, I don't even remember the last time I actually logged in. Occasionally, I will find things where it's like, oh, click on this and you go see the tweet or whatever. But It's not a bad thing. Yeah, mostly I just like post random stuff my kids say on Facebook and that's about it. I don't even read it for the most part. <laughs> it's not a bad way to do it. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for taking some time to join me today. I know folks like hearing from you and I like catching up as well. So till next time. All right. Take it easy. 
Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I always enjoy having Mike back on the show. It's just easy chatting because we've known each other for so many years and spent so many, I guess, literally hundreds of hours talking about this kind of stuff. So it's good to have him back on the show and I'll be sure to have him back again in the next couple months. What I do with Mike is, is I'll text him and say, hey, do you have anything to report? Like, is there anything interesting to update folks on since last time? And sometimes, I, you know, last year in 2020, there was a seven-month gap where just nothing really was happening that was, you know, he was able to talk about on, on the microphone. And this time it was, I think, about three months. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll see how quickly things sort themselves out. And I'll get him back on the show just as soon as I can. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener and a subscriber. And as always, I'll be back again in your earbuds next Tuesday morning.